Chapter Three of the Bridge of History over the Gulf of Time by Thomas Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: The Arch of Oliver Cromwell. What shall we call the seventeenth century? Let us call it the Arch of Oliver Cromwell. He was the most distinguished person of the century in our own country, at any rate. And thank God there is no one ashamed to name the name of Oliver Cromwell now. His name does not lie at the bottom of a ditch of defamation covered with the mud of spite and malice. You may thank my illustrious friend Thomas Carlyle for taking up Cromwell's great memory and clearing it from the dirt so long cast upon it. Oliver Cromwell is known now to have been a large-hearted Christian man and to have wished to establish a Christian government in this land. And the founder of the Commonwealth, as he was often called, John Hampton, was a Christian man and died praying for his greatest enemy as well as for England. Lord, open the king's eyes. Lord, bless my country, were his last words. The seventeenth century was a distinguished Christian century. If you would read the most profound and eloquent books on Christianity ever written in the English language, you must go to that age for them. You must read the exhaustive Isaac Barrow, the deep-thinking John Howe, and Jeremy Taylor, the Shakespeare divines, with a huge catalogue of other noble writers. Be it ever remembered that the name which deserves so much reverence, the name of Milton, is also a Christian name, that he has left us his treatise on Christian doctrine, and that he devoted his highest powers as a poet to the celebration of the great themes of Christianity. Nor let the name which deserves equal, if not higher, reverence, the great name of Newton, be forgotten. The philosopher who walked so humbly with his God and studied the Christian scriptures so devoutly. And who can forget to name the inspired tinker and his immortal pilgrim's progress? He would be an ungrateful Christian who could forget the name of John Bunyan while making a catalogue of the worthies of Christian England. Nor should I think much of that man's honour or courage who was ashamed of the name of George Fox. Reckoning all the various periods of his incarceration, George passed twelve years of his brave and holy life in prison for conscientious opposition to the shams and tyrannies of his time. But even in prison, where he had often but a hard, moldy crust to eat and not to drink save water from a bucket in which wormwood had been steeped, he could rejoice in Christ. Whence came all this devotedness to Christianity and busy writing and thinking about it in the seventeenth century? Was it all a silly dream and misemployment of time? Did Jesus of Nazareth never tread this earth, never shed his blood upon the cross, nor ever rise again from the dead? Has Christianity only sprung out of sun-worship? Let us journey onward to another arch of the bridge of history, and see if we find Christianity thereon. End of chapter 3